Thank you for listening to Eclipsed Epics. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1, Peter Did It. Quote, we have only to kick in the door and the whole rotten structure will come crashing down. End quote. These words come from the mouth of Adolf Hitler, German dictator and wannabe generalissimo, regarding his planned invasion of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Hitler bases rotten structure assumption on two past performances. The first, and less recent, was the performance of the Soviet Union's predecessor against Nazi Germany's predecessor in the First World War. Tsarist Russia, already weakened from a combination of external battlefield beatings and internal institutional decay, lost handily to Imperial Germany and fell out of the Great War by 1917. This resulted in the collapse of the Romanov dynasty and years of civil war, laying the groundwork for one of the most brutal regimes in all history to take root in Russia. Second, and more recent performance, was the USSR showing against little, recently independent Finland in the winter of 1939-1940, hence why it is known as the Winter War. This war has its roots in the 18th century. No, really, it actually does. Before the Russian Empire was an empire, it was considered simply a regional power by the great European powers at the time, much as the United States was considered before the Spanish-American War. The accession of Peter Alexandievich, and just to let you guys know, if you heard me struggle with uh, Peter's last name here, Alexievich, Um, Let's just get used to that, because this is a war between the Russians and the Finns. Uh, I grew up in the United States. Uh, I speak English. I speak maybe a little Spanish. So um, Russian and Finn are um, foreign languages to me in all the ways you would consider foreign. So let's go back to that sentence. The accession of Peter... Alexievich would force the minds of Europeans to consider another great European nation quite quickly. Peter would turn his backward, inward-thinking Tsardom into a western-looking, outward-seeking empire. To do this, Peter toured the dominant powers of Europe in disguise. Even though everyone knew what he was doing and it was kind of an open secret. When he got into Britain, it was driven home to Peter that a strong navy or any navy at all, was the key to further success, read, conquest for his Ardom. But Peter would first need to find a port suitable for that need. Peter marked what is now called St. Petersburg as the port for the job, though one problem immediately presented itself to him. His western neighbor, the Swedes, were in possession of that land. But given that we now know it as St. Petersburg, might be a portent of a hostile takeover's imminence. Long story short, a war started between the Tsardom of Muscovy, which is Russia in this instance, and the Swedish Empire. Russia won this great northern war. Peter obtained his port and named it after himself. He also declared the Tsardom an empire, worthy of the attention of the other great European powers. Finally, Peter Alexievich became Peter the Great to us and the rest of the world. 
but the acquisition of St. Petersburg sowed the seeds of conflict before successors, one of which is the focus of this season. There is much to take place between the founding of St. Petersburg in 1703 and the Winter War of 1939-1940, so I'm not saying the Winter War is the direct result of its founding, but just as the act of sowing a seed does not directly yield a crop, that seed needs water, sunlight, nutrients, and care. But there is no crop without that seed being planted. One thing this particular seed needed to yield the winter war is Finland becoming a thing. At the time of St. Petersburg establishment, Finland, as we know it today, was part of the Swedish Empire on the new Tsar's Empire's western border. About a century later, Russia was at war with Sweden as a result of fighting that Corsican in charge of France. This would result in Russia signing the Treaty of Tilsit with Napoleon. Before getting any further along, though, these first episodes are an introduction of how we get to the Winter War, so it will be necessary to truncate about 200 years of history or so to get us there. The Great Northern War and the Finnish War could and probably should be podcast series in their own right. Regardless, at the end of this Finnish War, the aristocratic diet of poor Vu, think Congress and you're not so far off. Um, and if you're thinking of Congress, we're thinking about the Congress uh, in the United States or, or Parliament in, in Europe. Um, this, this Congress or this diet um, convened uh, because the writing of that war, we're talking about the Finnish war, um, was on the wall. Sweden was going to lose, and now it was time to jump ship and get a better deal while the getting was good. The Diet pledged allegiance to Tsar Alexander I while humbly asking for more autonomy than the other subjects under his control. By agreeing to the Diet's request, this Swedish territory became the Grand Duchy of Finland, today's precursor to Finland, the nation-state. This Grand Duchy provided Russia with a nice buffer zone between its capital, extremely close to Scandinavia, and the Swedish Empire. In return, the Finns received more or less independence from Tsarist intrusions, this relationship reminds me of the relationship the American colonists had with the English crown before the Seven Years' War. And what I mean by that is there was a, like a sweet spot where the crown kind of left them alone in between the after effects of the glorious rebellion in the colonies, um, which was at the end of the 17th century, and the um, just before the Seven Years' War. You still had to swear fealty to the Tsar, but rest assured you could go about your business. This relationship with the Tsar would not always be so laissez-faire. It would change with the accession of different Tsars throughout the 19th century. With that being said, there are three Tsars we need to discuss to, one, understand the waxing and waning of the relationship between the imperial apparatus and the Grand Duchy, and two, take both Russia and Finland through to the near of the end of the Romanov dynasty that will birth the main characters of the Winter War. The first is Alexander II, known as the Tsar Liberator. In many ways, the Tsar Liberator is going to be the end of the high point of the Tsardom. Peter the Great 
and later Catherine the Great, spent most of their reigns westernizing the empire and building it up to compete with the likes of Britain and France and Prussia. Alexander II carried on the tradition through liberal reforms. For my Alaskan friends, Alexander II sold Alaska to the United States after the American Civil War. But more dear to the average Russian at the time, Alexander emancipated the serfs. I say emancipated that way because the serfs weren't fully freed. You see, in order to abolish oppression, you must consider the feelings of the oppressors, not the oppressed. Anyway, Alexander II's effect on Finland was profoundly positive. His reforms resulted in increased independence for Finnish subjects in many areas, including economically and militarily. Finns loved these reforms so much that they called Alexander II the good czar. Unfortunately for the Grand Duchy and the empire as a whole, there would be no good czars after the assassination of Alexander II in 1881. The next in line was Alexander III, and if you think he was going to do anything close to his recently slain father after these ungrateful subjects murdered him, you are in a completely different ballgame. If Alexander II pulled the empire's joystick to the left, toward reform, toward autonomy, toward liberalization, toward modernization, Alexander III is going to slam that joystick back to the right when he gets it in his hot little hand. Alexander III curtailed many of the modernization programs that his father established. He reestablished Russian control over the territories where his father allowed more independence. This was all part of the orthodoxy, autocracy, and nationality program that Alexander III built upon. The Grand Duchy of Finland, with its specific track record of leaving the Swedish Empire at the most advantageous moment while begrudgingly swearing fealty to the Tsar would catch the eye of an already mistrustful royal court. Russians were returned to positions of power in Finland where Finns once occupied them. That would be in universities, law courts, and newspapers. Russian was the official language and was now more strictly enforced. This rollback of liberties Finns enjoyed for the last century could not help but increase chafing between Russia and Finland. Things did not improve under Alexander III's successor, Nicholas II. On top of being an ill-prepared playboy, Nicholas made his reign worse by continuing his late father's policy of orthodoxy, autocracy, and nationality. This meant sending Governor General Babrikov to take charge in Finland in 1898. He immediately took to poking any Finns with a nationalist nanogram in his or her body directly in the eyeball. If we want to continue the American colonist analogy, after the Seven Years' War, Britain needed to recoup its losses and began levying taxes on the colonies, taxes that the colonists found mighty offensive because the colonists were under the impression they were full British subjects and therefore had a right to be represented. In Babrikov's case, it was immediately clear that his goal was to make Finland Russia and Russia Finland. He would continue this trend of taking rights, long since taken for granted, while consistently poking Finns in their collective eyeballs right up to the outbreak of the Russo-Japanese War. And next week, we will discuss that war. But before we go, I would like to... 
um, thank someone else that I forgot to thank in the introductory episode of the season of Eclipse Epics that we are in now, which is the Winter War. And it's actually for, you know, the totality for it. It isn't a singular person. It is the Connecticut Library, the state of Connecticut public library system. Um, I've gotten books that I didn't really have access to or maybe I couldn't afford through that system. Um, and I was able to increase my knowledge and make these episodes as good as they can possibly be with their help. So, I, and I've been to a bunch of libraries, you know, from just on the border of the Northwest Hills in the state of Connecticut, if you, you're familiar with it. The, topo- uh, the topography and the geography of Connecticut all the way down to, you know, near the so- southeastern shore right on the Rhode Island borders and, you know, a couple in between as well. So I just want to thank them because it is an underutilized resource, like um, something maybe you don't know. If you need a book for something, you should probably, go- rather than going on Amazon, which, you know, if you have the money, that's fine. But if, let's say you're cash-strapped, go to your public library and see if they can get it for you. And in a lot of instances, they can. And, you know, you can save yourself money, and you're also, you know, supporting your public library. Because, in a lot of senses, their budgets have been cut. They're going on sh- shoestring bu- budgets, especially because of the pandemic, but even before that. So I encourage everyone listening to me, uh, especially in the state of Connecticut, Support your public library because they're very helpful if you need information and they're and they want to help you. With that said, have a good week and I'll talk to you guys next week.